welcome. Grab a snack. Come on in. This is Bob and Joyce. We're former HROD executives who want to support other HROD professionals in doing large, high-impact, bold work in a time that really needs the values and skills of HR and OD. In these podcasts, we will share our experiences on topics that are relevant both to you and today's business world. We're both glad you're here. Welcome, grab a snack, come on in. <laughs> good morning. Hey, good morning, Joyce. How are you? Good. I'm laughing because um, <laughs> what was in my head to say was, here we are in the quagmire. <laughs> <laughs> slogging along in the quagmire <laughs> you know wow. quag, quagmire is one of those words that that i you don't use a lot but boy it's a wonderful word yeah and it's fun to say too which it's, is a bonus <laughs> it is so fun to say oh gosh uh so many quagmires so many people in them um so i was thinking about our talking and thinking two things one practical one made me laugh the practical was oh maybe there's some concrete hint we could share today <laughs> from our work so people would know we actually did it um i'm talking a little tiny thing that's good i have one but the other thing that made me honestly almost saturday night live laugh there is going to be so much empathy training going on <laughs> <laughs> oh, and I did actually teach empathy for social workers investigating child abuse and neglect. Um, but they, they all came with so much. It's like I had to say, tune down the empathy and think about what needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you know, it's, it's interesting because um, not that I came into this conversation with this in mind, but your comment about there's going to be a whole lot of empathy training going on uh, reminded me of the fact that there is and will continue to be a lot of diversity training happening. Oh, my Lord. Yes. In companies. Yep. And, yep. Uh, you know, I, I, I'd like to. So, I, yeah, I'd like to have a conversation about kind of the quagmire and perhaps what's being born, what's bubbling up mm -hmm. in quagmire. Mm -hmm. Yep. And what's staying at the bottom. Oh, yeah. Gosh. You know, I, yeah, and I wrote in something recently, since I cannot focus and I have like 10,000 face page books, Facebook pages and all that was, um, I hope oh, I was smiling because black faces are predominant now on ads and things yeah. and it's black history month. And that um, I hope we just don't flip who's ever on top and, and how you have to exaggerate voices to get them heard and seen. It's sort of incorporated to, into a pool that might become equal. But it seems like there's always going to be somebody saying, I'm not in that circle. What happened to gray panthers? I'm now a gray panther. Yay. Um, and do you remember this? We may not ever post this. One. Do you remember if 
Jewish voices had to be exaggerated? Was there a movement? I mean, a very exaggerated movement. That was encouraged and demanded of people that were Jewish. Right. Oh, was God. was there one and why can't uh, this is embarrassing too but we're committed to talking out loud so yeah you, you know um so i don't remember that but uh it kind of um it kind of brings up for me those parts that we keep hidden or tap down uh in order to to belong or to be accepted. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so as a white male, what did you have to tamp down? Oh gosh. Uh-huh. Gosh. You know, I I feel I I tap down my volume. Mm-hmm. I've been a part of uh, many conversations around diversity, both in corporate and now with Black Lives Matter. And I find myself being quiet because I don't think I have anything to offer. I just listen. Mm -hmm. So my point of view is what gets tapped down. And there's a lot of shame, which is totally, I, is not rational, but there's- Yeah, I feel a little shy, like dare I speak? I'm not yeah. black. Um, but on my, I pray anyway, Paige, I, because, um, oh, this is a long story. I attend an all black, no, it's not all black anymore, AME Zion Church in Portland. And the, um, there's a woman assistant minister and she works a lot with women and she sends out, she's sending out a daily quote during Black History Week. And I don't know why I started this and complicated it, but I take her quote and then I write my black history, which is history with black people. Because I have a lot of very mixed experiences because I grew up in Gary, Indiana. So my first love was in first grade. Ronald Woods was the cutest black boy I didn't I didn't know he was black I just thought he was cute and I ran all around the playground chasing him to kiss him <laughs> <laughs> finally I guess somebody called my mom and dad and they said you know Ronald Woods you just can't kiss him because maybe he doesn't want to be kissed yeah yeah and I said, no I think he does <laughs> <laughs> you were I sure of it <laughs> I, was. Yeah, I was um and then you know I have on the opposite end because I lived in Gary, Indiana, my uh, a friend of my my neighbor was sexually assaulted by a black gang in her home, and a lot of things stolen, and then they tormented her, or maybe it was remorse. Every once in a while, they'd put something back on her porch that they'd taken. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, and I have a lot of. Um, that side of the story too well honest to goodness maybe we won't post this or maybe we will because we are human we are human beings yeah 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 so i i heard um an interesting podcast that really helped me reframe 
some of the feelings that I've had around uh, issues of race mm -hmm. and discrimination. Um, and uh, it dealt with the, um, with the subject of right and wrong mm -hmm. and how most of us seem to see it as being static, meaning something's either right or wrong today, has been in the past, will mm -hmm. be in the future. And this speaker made the argument that that's nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, and that um, like they, they talk about burning people at stakes or human sacrifice mm -hmm. uh, that used to be very those right. As, those Aztecs, you know, just yeah, right you, want, you, want, you want that rain to come. Um, and then uh, the gods have to be fed. Yeah, that's right. Um, and then most more recently, uh, is the issue of uh, uh, race in America and specifically mm. slavery. And, uh, you know, he argues that given uh, yourself being dropped back in that time period, you probably saw uh, having humans as, as possessions as right. Normal, uh, at least normal. Yeah, or yeah, and, and that's what he's using kind of the normal right. Uh -huh. And and what shifted my thinking? So not that. I mean, I, I kind of get the notion of what's right today is wrong. And you know, they talked about the Pope uh being against um, you know, uh same-sex unions, and then you know, yeah. three years later, who am I to judge? Yeah. Um, and he said that there's two things that we have to have. Uh, that will help us uh, navigate these tough conversations. And he said, the first is humility. And then the second is forgiveness. Um, and as, as I thought, I was thinking, God, I look at our history and I just feel shame. I didn't mean to let that hang there. I was trying not to sneeze. Well, I, I thought um, I was saying something brilliant, but where I'm going is I think um, this whole notion of having humility, but for me being in that time, chances are I'd be acting out the same way. And then forgiveness to forgive those, uh, their indiscretions of what's now considered wrong. Uh, well, that's what I like about restorative justice because you have to hear fully the pain and the stories and the history before the real conversation begins. And I actually, what I was thinking of is uh, with, the, with owning other humans, I was going to say, well, they didn't perceive blacks as human. Yeah. But they did often enough to fall in love so there was, I think there was um, more shame involved maybe, but anyhow, how do we enlarge the circle of what we see as a co-equal human? Because we are, but how do you enlarge the circle of who, not who can belong, but that we can see mm -hmm. without creating a triangle of hierarchy? How do we keep the circle? Yeah which is, um, oh my gosh, we are getting into this. Well, but it, the, the common theme of uh, empathy 
you know, and issues of fairness and social justice, uh, isn't, aren't those two components of being able to see? Yes, uh, or, or their components for widening the circle when otherwise you wouldn't. In other words, if equality is a value, you're gonna widen the circle more, but, um, cause you see, I lived in a workshop, Gary, Indiana, it had the influx from the black, um, uh, you know, <laughs> transition from the South. Yeah. Well, yeah, and plus Chicago is where a lot of uh, the black people, black population went after Jim Crow and all that. Um, yeah. My, for instance, another example is my mom and dad, uh, I paid their way to come to Puerto Rico after I got out of the Peace Corps and they'd never flown and they were great. They took a little Spanish class I set up for them. They got on the bus and rode, rode all over San Juan into every single kind of place and met people and never, they went into some places that they didn't know. They went in with an open heart and they were received with an open heart. When they got home from Puerto Rico, they went into their house and found it had been ransacked. A black gang had come in because Gary was very angry and literally rubbed excrement all over the walls. Ugh. Broke a lot of cherished items. My mom had a ukulele she played when she was young. It was cracked in two. Her original engagement ring was taken. Clothes were all thrown all over the ground. Their house was, they had to uh, live in a motel for a month while yeah. the insurance restored it. Wow. Um, and yet, after that, when a new black family moved in next door to them, and according to my dad, was not taking care of their lawn, which is white working man's dream. I mean, you know, he loved his lawn. Yeah. So he went over and said, I have a lawnmower. I'm glad to lend it to you, or I'm glad to mow your lawn. I really love to mow the lawn. And, you know, he was called names and yeah. it didn't turn out to be a neighborly relationship regardless because they felt judged because they weren't mowing their lawn and they were judged <laughs> by my dad. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, if, and I didn't hear you say this, but my assumption is your, your father's penchant for a great lawn and wanting his neighbor to have uh, a good lawn, maybe a little selfishly, had nothing to do with race. I, no, I, not overtly. I, I think... Um, Stereotyping. He was very active in the Methodist Church's Social Action Committee. Yeah. So, um, I think he went over to be neighborly and maybe his assumption was, oh, they don't have a lawnmower. Cause if they did, yeah. and I have, I, I, my mom's best friend was, or colleague like we are, was a black woman at the Girl Scout office. They both worked together there and um, Gary, Indiana was pretty mixed and oh, and I got company coming in with coffee. Thank hey, you very much. Hey, Good morning. Black. I'll take mine black if you don't mind. 
No problem. <laughs> um, hey, everybody, join our table. Come on in, grab a snack. <laughs> Joyce has coffee. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <clears throat> and my, so my dad was dedicated to that. And it was very sad because he had to drive through a very burnt out section of Gary to get to his work. Yeah. And there was a particular stoplight where black gang hung out and he had to really time it so he didn't have to stop there. And he talked about how good he'd gotten with it. He was scared and he was a little man and, but they would come up and rock his car, this gang yeah, and call him names. And um, he said, I carry a baseball bat. And I went, what? And he said, yeah, just to get through that one light. Um, on the other hand, I was in the orchestra. We had, we had, uh, I, I'll tell, I need to write this story sometime. We had an orchestra and a very interesting Gary school that was built on high learning ideals. And so everybody had an instrument and we had an hour of orchestra every day if you wanted it. And Patty Page played the bass viol and she lived in the black district of town and for competitions, because she was good and I was good, we would go to play and get medals and all that. My dad absolutely would go pick her up and drive her and have her ride with me. Um, so he saw person to person with his heart, but as a movement, he was worried about what it meant for quality of school, for this, for that. It was too much too fast in his book. And actually it was a very, I went from an all white school to a 20% black school in yeah. one year. But anyway, uh, on what is this all to say? It's so, I'm thinking of diversity and how as long as you're in the top dog position, it's very lovely to include others because they're not excluding you. And then suddenly it's not a minority and you go, uh-oh. Uh oh. Yeah. And, and I feel slightly nervous about posting this. Therefore, we will. It's hard for me to argue with that because I was just thinking, God, we can't post this. Right. <laughs> So you, you we're, kind of we're, we're, well, yeah. And, um, one, because we feel sorry for where we were biased or prejudiced or hateful, whether we knew it or not, whether we were trying to be good or not. And also, I experienced a lot of things that scared me. I was afraid I had a black gang in seventh and eighth grade that beat me up in the bathroom and took my favorite patent leather wallet <laughs> where you could stick a coin right in the coin department. It had a little slot. Went right into your purse. Yeah. And, and so I had a lot of that. And yet, and I had a black, all black basketball team and I was a cheerleader. And the team was known for harassing people in the halls. It was scary to go through a certain hallway because they would grab at your intimate areas. Yeah. 
and after after a basketball game, and in Gary, it, since it had such a large black population, all the teams were at least mixed, or many were all black. And uh, the opposite, we had won, and the opposite team, we were all coming out of the gym area, started to uh, push me around, you know, just push my shoulders and stuff. Sure. And boy, my black basketball players came out and defended me and took care of me and walked me home. Well, just 12 blocks and they were walking into an all white neighborhood. Yeah. So go figure. Yeah. I mean, I look at my own life uh, and going back to the comment about uh, the, the time element uh, that impacts what is considered right mm -hmm. and wrong. And I look at my past and, uh, um, you know, where I, I said that I feel a lot of shame and a little bit of disappointment. Um, I, the notion of being a little bit forgiving um, because as I listen to you speak, um, I've only had a gun pulled on me once mm -hmm. and, and it was uh, a black man. Yeah. Therefore all black men, <laughs> you know, and therefore all black men. And then as, as I, uh, as I thought about it more, uh, there's a term in when I was growing up in Philadelphia called being jumped, you get jumped. Yes. 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 And it's yes. where a group of kids, two or three chase you and, and beat you up. And, yeah. uh, and I, I can count on one finger the time I was jumped by uh, black uh, boys, not men, yeah. but I've been jumped by white guys a lot more. Yeah. You know, usually because I was with the wrong team or wearing the wrong hat. Yeah. So, you know. Um, I, I got jumped by black girls. <laughs> they had they had compasses from uh, math class. Yeah, stuck them in me, and it's the only time when I went home my I, my thighs had blood on them, and that's the only time my dad blew. Wow! But didn't take any action because I said, "Please don't, please don't," because I'm afraid. Yeah. So I want to think more about the whole notion of humility and forgiveness, and. Um, and that cuts both ways. So it's not just mm -hmm. those mm -hmm. uh, that are on the top or considered yeah. in uh, the position of power, uh, exercising humility and, and forgiveness, but also those that, that might be oppressed, which um, if I think about uh, uh, the freedom, freedom Riders and the uh, civil rights movement of the 60s, it was uh, about forgiveness. Um, before we cut this off, um, I want to test something with you. And oh boy, boy, oh boy, oh boy. And, and we I, are posting this. Okay. Well, and this relates, this relates to our HROD professionals working inside a company. Yeah. Um, I was in conversation with uh, an external diversity uh, consultant. Yep. And uh, it was in the context of helping to grow her business. Yep. And she said to me, she said, you know, the first thing I do when I speak to a client, I try to assess how serious they are mm -hmm. about this engagement mm -hmm. or whether they're coming from it uh, in the right way. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, why do you do that? And she said, well, I, I really don't want to take on an engagement where people are half-baked or doing it to check the box off. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, and here's what I want to test with you. 
I said, I, I think you're selling both the customer that you're serving and what you can have in terms of an impact on an organization. Mm-hmm. So I, I think you may want to rethink that. Um, yes, because how do they get there first? Yeah, I, I mean, that was kind of my thinking, but then after the call, the conversation, I thought, you know what, I'm that way with a client. If I'm looking at a coaching client, one of the things I try to assess is how serious they are about having a coach and and their level of commitment. And so I started second guessing my thinking, but I um, instead I kind of started second guessing my own thinking about not saying yes to those kind of- Ah, uh, yes, the beauty of being a coach, humble learner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So- I, so I don't know what it means. Humble teacher. I don't know what it means to our HROD practitioners. Um, well, and I'm trying to remember at Hannaford how the um, diversity and inclusion got started. Do you remember? I, I can't remember if there was it a may situation, have an event. Um, but what I would tell you without going into the names, I would say what we thought we were, um, what we thought we were going to do around diversity inclusion and what we actually experienced and did was really very different. Meaning I think we came in with uh, small aspirations, perhaps a little bit of awareness. And I would argue it, it really kind of broke open the organization. Yeah, it did in a lot of ways. So here's a concrete help. <laughs> right. By the way, I think I just remembered the context. I think it may have had to do with um, uh, with AIDS and having uh, uh-huh. associates uh, who were uh, one openly gay and and two unfortunately ill, and and how do we navigate mm-hmm. uh, given that point in time back in the uh, late eighties? Yeah. And we behaved very well. Oh, I, I, I think we did. As an organization, I, I remember um, that. Here's an opening question for discussions about differences that for me has always worked. So this is the nugget, one of the nuggets for the day as we wander around. It was a very simple question. Share a time or share something where you're very, very different mm. and very proud of it and love it and share a time where you feel very, very different and it's hell, it haunts you, it's horrible. And of course it didn't center on race or I think people just went and got into it, but it was very interesting um, to start with what, how are you different and proud about it? So the nugget, so it's a great nugget. It's a great opening for work on differences of yeah. all kinds. So, um, and then you can, cross fertilize the discussion by where is Joyce different and doesn't fit, but is valued. Yeah. Which is huge and meaning fit the norm. Um, Anyhow, I share that as a good conversation generator, whether it's the beginning of a three day. And I thought it was a toss away. Really? You know, you and I in the moment will go, holy crud, I guess I better do a warm up. Yeah, what I appreciate about it is one, it's it's experiential. So you're not dealing with some abstract looking through a you know a 
into a fishbowl and assessing, you're kind of going right into yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I like that. Uh, you could lot. also place it within an organization. Where in your company do you feel different and you're proud of it and you're appreciated? Where in your company do you feel different and you're not appreciated and you slightly have to hide it and you don't feel so, you're not made to feel so good about it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to uh, share an experience. I think there's a nugget here. Uh, the most impactful uh, diversity uh, experience that I had in the context of training and development yep. is um, our head of diversity um, intentionally brought in uh, a person who would create the, the most discomfort in the room. This was a group of officers of the company. Yep. And uh, it was just an open space where uh, the head of diversity interviewed the person. She, sh- he, she shared her story. And it was someone who uh, was in the process of, of uh, being uh, transgender. Uh-huh. And, you know, so there was a lot of discomfort in the room. And this is going back 15, 20 years ago. But in the period of about, we, I think we met for an hour and a half, in the period of an hour, hour and 15 minutes, we heard her story and, and was touched by what she sacrificed and lost a family. Mm-hmm. And what blew me away, I don't know about the rest of the group, but what shifted us all in the moment was at the end when she shared that her employer didn't know that she was transgender going, making the transition to being a woman. And in fact, she was going to work the next day as a male. Wow. And we're all sitting there like this woman who we related to for the last hour and a half. Will be a man tomorrow. She'll be a man tomorrow. And the indignity of that and the lack of respect. And the so, uh, you know, I don't, know uh where the did it turn How, where did it turn out in other words when she be entered work as a man what happened well she kind of she she that was her punchline uh so we didn't i mean it was like her yeah. ending statement yeah uh because the whole time she was sharing about coming out with uh, what was then at the time uh her wife and the wife leaving and wouldn't let the kids have anything to do with yeah, her wow. so, so we were in a space of saying, while she hadn't gone through the physical transition, she was out fully as, as a woman. And, and the reason it hit home with us is all of us felt uncomfortable with the topic. But once we could relate to a human being, like mm-hmm. someone who in all likelihood is working for us, and we yeah. just don't know it, uh, it put a human dimension um, and, and really shifted my thinking and I think everyone's thinking about um, you know because we always said oh well yeah gays are fine and people getting uh, married is fine but this whole transgender and making a transition and you know that why do they think they're a woman when they're really you know so I think there was a lot of uh, you know assumptions wrong assumptions Mm -hmm. Um, and and so the nugget is I think that our head of diversity took a topic that was probably the most uncomfortable and uh, that was a little controversial and took the risk and it, and it changed the room. Mm. Matter of fact, I remember 
<laughs> I was the head of HR at the time. <laughs> this woman laughed. <laughs> and, we said, and we said, we have to hire her. <laughs> and I think their hearts were in the right place. But I'm like, yeah. hey, that's not the solution. <laughs> right. But you are, we are talking about, for instance, my dad, person to person, was loving black, white, whatever. Greek, we had a lot of Greek. Uh, he was very interested. Yeah. Culturally. Very loving one-to-one. And yet when it became a threatening group that was too big, he got scared and angry. And so I think if we think about systems, the real key is to get people in a situation where they can be person to person, therefore, housing matters. Although, you know, my dad had a neighbor that didn't want him yeah. in the neighborhood. Um, yeah, forgiveness and humility. Those are too grandiose for me. I know. Uh, well, I apply it to my own uh, context of how I see yeah. myself in the world. Um, so it's as much about um, not thinking that uh, everything I know and think is right and wrong is in fact right and wrong. So humility is I could be wrong. And yeah. is forgive others, forgive yourself. You're, I know you're right. And I, that was kind of blunt. No, I appreciate your bluntness. That's why we're doing this. Um, what I'm interested in now is that well, I have a biracial daughter. Yeah. Who is proud to be black. Like if she's playing a sport or if she's drawing or she would, it's, you know, like there's lots of pride in the power of it. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with this. I think where I was going is that I do feel exposed to my own confusion and intimate stories, I feel confused about posting this. And I want, what I'm really interested in is what's our hesitation? I think I'm afraid of, of um, microaggressions as they say, <laughs> or um, being racist embedded in me that I'm blind to while I talk about it as if I'm not. Does that make sense? Made total sense. I, uh, I totally relate to that. And as I'm speaking uh, in the course of our conversation today, I'm thinking, like I said earlier, I feel so inadequate uh, to the task or having a point of view um, that could be a teaching moment. Um, and, so that's my hesitancy. Yeah, and I have a bias. Nothing, it's like I said earlier today, I have nothing to offer to this conversation. That's <laughs> The voice, that's the voice in my head. Ah, mm. uh, so. Mine is, I'm kind of afraid to say I have a bias toward people of color. I think they're more beautiful. Well, you know, I have a house in Mexico and I go to a, an African-American church. And... 
And in one of the big diversity and a large diversity thing I designed, we divided people up to get work done in different combinations. Yeah. Um, and women of color always got the job done well and fast with the most laughter. Why <laughs> wouldn't you want to be there? Absolutely. And the ones that were not so great at getting things done was an all white executive male group. And seriously, they kept looking around for me to come facilitate or help them out and I, I wouldn't. Now, there, that could be for all kinds of reasons. Oh yeah. Mainly because they don't, <laughs> top executives <laughs> don't do that much. Oh, I'm gonna oh. think I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> so I was gonna say, Joyce, we're kind of at our- uh, Yes, uh, I'm at my risk level, point. yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, I wanna just thank our, um, our listeners for being with us today and uh, allowing us to kind of share what's on our minds. Hopefully, uh, if nothing else, it got you thinking. Final thoughts, Joyce? Mm -mm. No final thoughts, still okay. mulling over all the stuff we raised. Yeah, okay. Till the next time, everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Bob and Joyce podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode and picked up an idea or two to go forward and do great work. For more information, please visit us at bobandjoyce.com. If you like today's podcast, please click subscribe. And even better, give us a quick review on Apple Podcasts. It supports us and helps others to find the show. If you'd like more ODHR content, please follow us on Facebook by searching for Bob and Joyce Podcast. Until the next time, be well and be safe.